This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. I've done a lot of, <laughs> I've done a lot of study for this sermon. Too much, too much. The problem is when you do a lot of study is you end up having a lot of things to say and then you realise these people probably don't want to sit here and listen to me speak for three hours. And so I created my slides and in the midst of creating my slides, I had some, some favourite slides which I had to delete from my PowerPoint because there was just too many slides. And uh, in, in the midst of all my research for this sermon... I've, I have panicked over the last 24 hours thinking, how could I possibly, how could I possibly preach it? But uh, in our PM service a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John taught us a prayer in Auslan. And it goes, uh, Spirit, lead me. And so this morning I am praying that the Spirit would lead me. One of the things I had fun with during my research was AI, artificial intelligence. They do some crazy things with artificial intelligence. In fact, I found a website online. I was messing around with AI and I found a website that you can type anything into the search box and the AI, the artificial intelligence, will draw you an original picture of whatever you type. It takes all the information from the internet and the world and it comes up with an original picture which you can even copyright and sell because it is an original artwork, AI. So of course, I typed in Jesus eating a pizza. <laughs> so these are original artworks of Jesus eating a pizza. The AI searched the whole internet. It looked up concepts of Jesus. It looked up concepts of eating. And it looked up concepts of pizza. And I, I just love that some of them hold multiple pizzas. Like, how many handfuls could you take, Jesus? Or, or this one, it's really like holding it up as some sort of offering. It looks like some sort of ham and cheese pizza there. I found it interesting looking at what AI might conceptualise different things about our church as. You may notice that here in these pictures, Jesus has, you know, his long flowing hair, his glowing halo, a lot of uh, European features. So I, if you, we looked at, I just typed in Jesus, and you can see this is the sort of artwork it came up with. Very European, long flowing hair, nice clean clothes. However, this is a misconception Jesus really started looking European around the Renaissance. If we go to other countries, they depict Jesus differently. If you go to Africa, Christmas cards make Jesus look African. If you go to Asia, Christmas cards make Jesus look Asian. We know uh, they dug up a bunch of, <laughs> this sounds a little bit gross, but they dug up a bunch of skulls in Israel and looked at what a Galilean uh, might have looked like during that time. And Jesus probably actually looked more like this. Very dark features. I told the AI to draw me a picture of church. This is the art that AI came up with for church. We've done many sermons about how the church is not a building, the church is a people. Yet when I ask AI 
which searches all of human knowledge on the internet, it gives me a picture of a building because of the misconception that the church is a building. I particularly like this one. I just like it's, you know, it's funky. Look, it's got a picture of a tree on the side. Our logo is a tree. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but this is a misconception. And I asked the AI to draw me a picture of worship, and this is what it came up with. Worship. What seemed to be extended limbs towards the light or towards stages. Which makes sense because when I googled worship, it's just a whole bunch of pictures of things like Hillsong Conference, bands on stages, and people reaching up their hands as they sing. This is what AI thinks worship looks like. But this morning, I want to take a closer look at what worship truly is. I am very deeply thankful for my traditional upbringing. I was brought up in a traditional Christian home and a traditional Christian church. And we didn't, have, we didn't even have worship songs. We had hymns. It was like the numbers on the board and you'd find the number and then you'd turn to the book. Hymns. And we didn't have a, a band we had an old organist sitting up the back of the church who played a wrong note every now and then. And everyone knew. And we didn't have great worship singers like Kira Lee. Well, we had people like my mum standing next to me. She made a joyful noise. That's a good way of putting it. She made a joyful noise. But then I came to the Central Coast and I became part of the contemporary church. Contemporary here meaning modern. And in the contemporary church, we have worship conferences, worship nights, worship leaders, worship teams, worship playlists on Spotify, worship at the beginning of our service followed by a sermon. And I love it. I have attended worship conferences. I've planned worship nights. I've worked alongside worship teams. I've saved the worship music playlists on Spotify and I sang along in worship at the beginning of our service. But it seems to me that in the contemporary church, we have reserved the term worship for music and musical moments. Perhaps this is a misconception, a misnomer, or a misnaming, because I think we all, deep down, know that worship is so much more than a song. And where better to find the truth about worship than in the Word of God? Uh, Johnny gave me, Johnny uh, writes our, uh, you know, does our sermon plans for the AM service, and he gives us the scriptures to read, and we're going through the book of Luke. Uh, but Johnny's not here. I didn't like the ones he gave me. So I still went to the book of Luke, and I picked Luke for uh, verse 1 to 8. It's a bit small on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. Luke 4, verse 1 to 8, if you want to turn there or look that up on your app. Luke 4, verse 1 to 8, says this. Jesus has just turned about 30 years old, and he was baptised in the River Jordan. And that was, a, that was a symbol, a starting of his ministry, his ministry on earth to the point where he would be put on a cross. 
And at the very beginning of his ministry on earth, it says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty good to be doing this sermon after the Holy Spirit series. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I've never fasted for 40 days, but if I did, by the end of it, I would be hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. So if you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall only serve him. In the SV, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So I'm going to give you a lesson in how to write a sermon now. I get my scripture from Luke because we're going through the book of Luke. I do a search for the word worship. I find Luke chapter 4 and I feel like that fits really well because it starts with the Holy Spirit. We just did a Holy Spirit sermon series and it talks about how we should worship the Lord our God and only shall him we serve. And then what I do is I go to my Blue Letter Bible app. If you don't have the Blue Letter Bible app, you should download the Blue Letter Bible app. Because in the Blue Letter Bible app, you can select a verse, then you can select a word, and it will tell you what that word is in the Greek, or in the Hebrew if you're in the Old Testament. So, download the Blue Letter Bible app, then you can select a verse, and then you can select a word, and it'll tell you what the word means. So, of course, if I'm doing a sermon on worship, I clicked on the word worship, and this is what the Blue Letter Bible app told me. Proskyneo. Proskyneo is the word worship. Proskyneo. It means to kiss the hand of one in a token of reverence. Or among the Orientals, especially the Persians, to fall upon knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. It comes from these words. Now, I can't read the Greek. But it comes from these words and a derivative of this word, which means to kiss like a dog licking a master's hand. So this word here is literally the word dog, and it's a derivative of the word dog, and meaning to kiss like a dog licks the hand of its owner. My good friends Josh and Sienna Corkill recently got a new puppy. I don't mind animals. I much prefer dogs to cats. But you don't want to get licked by a cat. Sandpaper tongue. Yuck. Gross. But they got a new puppy, and you can't wear nice clothes to Josh and Sienna's house because that puppy jumps all over you. It's okay because it's beautiful. But it jumps all over you and it'll lick you all over. That is what the word worship comes from. 
like a dog responding to its master, licking the master's hand. Sounds pretty gross. And so we get things like to kiss the hand of, and among the Orientals, to fall upon knees and touch the ground with your forehead in reverence. It's a posture thing. It's an action thing, which sort of blew my mind. It almost looks the opposite of the AI image I showed you at the start, which is high-reaching. The word worship in the Bible is almost low-reaching, which is sort of blew my mind a little bit, sort of messed with my conceptions. This is important because I believe that worship is a posture. Worship is a posture. One of the slides I had to delete was a bunch of pictures of people kissing other people's hands. There was a scene from the Titanic where Leonardo DiCaprio kisses the hand of the female actor. (laughs) Can anyone tell me the name? Trivia. Trivia. Kate Winslet. Excellent. There was a picture of uh, uh, someone, uh, a member of the royal family, kissing the hand of the queen as a show of reverence. And there was a picture of uh, world leaders kissing the, the palpal ring of the Pope in the Vatican as a sign of reverence and a sign of respect. And then when I Googled to kiss the hand of, there was just a bunch of pictures of wedding day photos and relationship photos of like people kissing the hand of their partner. And what a beautiful image of worship. And then I was thinking about touching the, the head, the ground with, my, with your forehead in like Oriental or Persian areas, Middle Eastern areas. And obviously that reminded me of my trip to Israel. And on my trip to Israel, the Holy Land, Five times a day, speakers all over the city blast the Muslim call to prayer. And good, faithful Muslims, when they hear the call to prayer in the Holy Land, will get out their mat and they'll fall to the ground. And you would have seen this in movies, you would have seen this. And they, they, literally, they literally touch the, the ground with their forehead. Almost as if in these Middle Eastern cultures, they've remembered what the word worship in this context really means. Now, of course, in the West, we don't necessarily worship others in that way. When the Prime Minister comes to town, I don't get on my knees and put my head to the the ground, nor do I kiss his hand. In Australia, we in Australia we actually don't do much as a way of respect for our politicians, so maybe that's not a good example. But if the Queen came, I think we'd all be waving and cheering and we'd probably have our phones out filming it for Instagram. In the Western culture, it seems like rising is the posture of worship. When I go to the Mariners and they score a goal and we rise to worship, it's a a high reaching. That seems to be what the posture of worship is in the West. But here in a Baptist church, Well, to be honest, I prefer Baptist worship hands down. (laughs) Ah, Thank you, David. I knew I'd get at least one laugh. It can't, surely it's not about physical posture. 
Surely we're not meant to rock up to church and all get on our knees and bow. Surely we don't all have to raise our hands. Surely it's not really just a posture thing. What if it's a posture of the heart? What if it's not about the the, the physical expression of worship, but what if it's about the heart expression of worship? The reverence and the respect. The reverence and the respect. That I know what my Jesus has done for me. And so when I come into his presence, when I encounter him, when he is with me, which is every second of my life, I can have a heart of reverence, a posture of honour for the one who did everything for me. Worship is a posture. I wonder if this morning, as you sit here, or as you, if you go into your week, or as you go back to school, or as you do whatever, whatever it is you, you're going to do, I wonder if you currently have a, a posture in your heart of worship. Or I wonder if there's so many distractions, so many other things going on, that even when we provide a moment of musical worship, there's so many distractions, it's hard to find that posture. I encourage you this morning that when the band come up at the end and we, we sing together, maybe you can find that posture. Number two, worship is for God alone, for God alone. When Jesus responds to the devil, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's just about quoting the Ten Commandments. We are commanded to worship our God. But I don't do it because I'm commanded. I do it for all he's done for me. And because I'm commanded. (laughs) You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil tempts Jesus. And I believe this. Our worship can be misdirected when we attempted. Our worship can be misdirected when we attempted says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to who I want. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. This is an important passage of Scripture because as Christians we believe that Jesus was tempted in all things. And because he was tempted in all things and overcame sin and never sinned despite the fact he was tempted, it meant that when he went to the cross and died for our sins, he did it with authority because he had been tempted in all things but had overcome sin. Very important. And so this passage at the beginning of his ministry is almost like a sign of like Jesus was tempted in all things but he he overcame sin. But you and I, we're not quite as good as Jesus. Sometimes when we are tempted, we fail. Sometimes when I'm tempted, I fail. And sometimes it's because of authority and glory. I don't know if you've ever wanted more authority or glory. I don't know if, when I I was young, I definitely wanted my name in lights. I wanted Lewis to be a household name. Even had a stage name, Lewis Ramsey. If you're confused about my name, Ramsey's my middle name. And I was always told that you needed to have a stage name, like people couldn't know your last name, so I called myself Lewis Ramsey. It stuck a little bit as my stage name because I really wanted to see my name in lights. I wanted all the glory. 
and authority. I don't mind a bit of authority either. I tell you what, I've got too much of it this morning with Johnny away. But I do see Brian, our elder down there, so I better stay in line. The devil tempts Jesus with authority and glory. Ultimately, all the glory would be Jesus's. But it wasn't because his name was in lights. I mean, his name hung above him on a cross. King of the Jews. What is it that can distract you from worshipping God? We can worship a lot of things in this life. We can worship our career. Sometimes we can put our career above God or our own families. What's the song? Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. That song was written because people sometimes put their career above other things. We can put, uh, we can put our, uh, we, this is a sport, sport's a good example. Sport's a great example. Now I'm all for skipping Sunday night church to watch a football game. And there are churches that would preach that if your kids have sport on a Sunday, take them out of sport on a Sunday. But I'm not going to be that hardcore. If you play sport on a Sunday or you have a football game to watch, Just make sure you're setting time aside elsewhere in your week. Don't let it consume your entire life and your entire week. Make sure you're setting space apart like the the commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I don't think that's just about uh, a particular day. In the Old Testament, it was more of a Saturday anyway, not a Sunday. I don't think it's about a particular day. I think it's about like, make sure there's time in your week to worship your God and remember what's most important because our career and sport can overtake that. So if your kids play sport on a Sunday and they're going to be a world champ, let them, but also teach them who gave them that ability. What else can we be misguided by or put our worship in instead? I, I, I was trying to find more slides that I cut out, but like things that we bow down to. I don't know if you've ever seen, <laughs> well, it's not just young people these days, it's all people. Sometimes we bow down like this. <laughs> at the dinner table, at church. If you see people doing it at church, they're probably just reading their Bible or taking notes, so don't judge them. <laughs> And night service is full of mobile phone screens. What are other things we bow down to? Oh, I tell you what, if you put me in front of a box of KFC, <laughs> I'm going to bow down. But I'm not saying don't eat KFC and I'm not saying don't use your phone. I'm just saying remember what's important. If you're a teenager, maybe what you bow down to is, you know, when you get to school and your friends are, you hear someone bullying someone else and you want to be in the cool crowd and so, it's, so you join in with the teasing and the joking. It's almost like bowing down to a culture of bullying. Or maybe you're a, 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 about to head into uni or you're a uni student that's taking up all of your time and, you, and, you've, got the, and you've got like a goal and obsessed and then you start hanging out with, the, you know, when, when you guys get to, you, I'm pointing just in general, when you guys get to uni, because some of you are already there, you're going to be, there's going to be other options. There's going to be parties and there's going to be friends that didn't grow up in church and there's going to be all sorts of different things and you're going to be pulled left, right and centre. But, but you shall worship the Lord your God. 
And if you're an adult and you have a career and you're, and you're doing all the different things and you're raising your children and there's so many distractions, work, finances, I'm getting to that old stage now where I'm starting to, you know, you know I have to go see physios about my hip, <laughs> get distracted by health problems <laughs> as we get older, but we shall worship the Lord our God. Our worship can be misdirected when we're tempted. I hope this is okay. I'm, these are just some thoughts, some opinions. Point number three, worship isn't music. But I am going to make a disclaimer here. But it can be. Worship isn't music, but it can be. The, the, the term I used before, proskuneo, is used 60 times in the Bible. 60 times. And we translate that word to worship. 60 times. So the, uh, the act of uh, kissing someone's hand or bowing down in worship, the posture thing, that is used 60 times in the Bible. However, one of the scriptures that Johnny gave me and that you would have done in your Bible study during the week is Romans 12, 1. And it says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or some translations say, which is true worship to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God but this is not one of the 60 times that proskuneo is used in fact I think it is a bit of a misnomer a bit of a mistranslation because other parts of the Bible translate this word to service it's just that whoever translated the book of whoever translated the ESV and the NIV not the King James, because they use the word service, but the ESV in the end. They just decided, well, in this context, we're going to use the word worship instead of the word service. Does that sort of make, uh, uh, sort of weird conceptually theological, you know, I, I get it's a bit like wordy talking about the translations and whatnot. But my point here is to say that this Bible verse isn't talking about like proskuneo, it's not talking about the posture, it's talking about service. And so the Bible verse could say, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Which means the people who translated the Bible believe that service we all do different types of service we have a people who serve on the stage as musicians we have people who serve uh out out outside doing car park we have people who serve uh, on our information desk we have people who serve in our children's ministry we have people who serve you would have noticed driving in this morning that the potholes are fixed oh oh that got a that got a really good response can we just applaud the person who gave their spiritual service to the potholes? That is a spiritual service. And all those things can be done with a heart posture of worship. All those things can be done with a heart posture of worship. So it seems like the Bible translators themselves believe that serving is worship, as well as a posture. Worship isn't music, but it can be. Uh, part of my thoughts on corrective theology is that the English language sometimes fails us. Like I said at the beginning of my sermon, we seem to use the word worship and music as sort of synonyms. And music can be worship. And we can sing with a heart posture 
of worship, but the two words are not synonyms. I think one of the things that, that my generation is called to is to help with some of our language, some of our misnomers, and some of our misconceptions. There's a lot of words in the modern church I don't like. I've been to... This is Lewis's opinion, so come speak to me after if you want to talk about it, because I'm just talking about there's words that Lewis doesn't like in the modern church. I don't like the word leadership, because in the Bible, leadership is meant to be upside down. It's meant to serve. Yet we go to leadership conferences if we have positions of authority and power. But leadership is not about authority and power, it's about serving. And so I don't like the term leadership because in English, in our modern world, we think of leadership as like the CEO or the manager. But in the Bible, the word leadership means something completely different. So when we use that word, it's a misnomer. That sound, I know I sound weird, I sound crazy, come talk to me afterwards, but let me give you another one. Reverend, reverend, maybe one day I will be a reverend, reverend meaning to be revered, as if the man of God who becomes a reverend should be revered, maybe that's okay, the Baptist church does it, a lot of denominations do it, but I've always been taught to revere God, not man, and I respect pastors, I respect elders, I respect all different sorts of people, but there's something that makes me uncomfortable about using that word for someone in a position of power. Are you with me? Do you sort of understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying we should change these things because we're always going to go to leadership conferences and I have a youth leadership team and, I, you know, we use the word. We use the word fine. And, and, I, and I love the word reverend. Pastor Craig is a pa, uh, Reverend Craig Corkill and I, I love to call him Reverend Craig Corkill. And the truth is I do respect and love Pastor Craig and all our reverends in our Baptist denomination. I just don't like the words. Worship is a little bit similar for me. Now, I am fighting against 200 years of contemporary theology here. But I am deciding, after speaking with our, what I called our youth worship director, Josh Corkill, that in youth, our generation is going to start trying to use the terms more properly in youth. I don't expect that of the church because it's not my decision. And also, uh, we, sometimes words mean a lot to us, and that's important. But in youth, I want to start correcting our language for our young people and our teenagers. And so uh, Josh Corkill will now be known as the, uh, as, as the music director. And when we have a time of music at youth, we're going to call it music or musical worship because music can be worship, so it could be musical worship. And we're going to stop using the term worship leader. We're going to start using the terms lead singer, backing singer, things like that. Because worship can be music, but it isn't always. And I want to make sure the next generation coming up starts to use language properly. I don't think we should change that in our modern church because we all know heroes, past and present, who we call worship leaders, who are called to lead our congregation to have a heart posture of worship. And I understand that conceptually. I did a Bible college subject at a Pentecostal Bible college for my diploma, not my bachelor, but my diploma on the topic of worship. And there was all these information about like a worship leader is called to lead the congregation to have a heart posture of worship. And we all know heroes past and present who we've called worship leader. So I don't want to strip anyone of that title or strip. Uh, we all have heroes who we remember being worship leaders. And I don't want to strip that person, those people of their titles. But the next generation can start to change our language. 
so that we can make a difference in the world for the next generation of church and leaders. Maybe the next generation isn't meant to refer to church buildings as church. Maybe the next generation of leaders isn't meant to call people in positions of power like me with a microphone, uh, our strong and mighty leader. And maybe the next generation isn't meant to refer to all music as worship. Just my opinion. And uh, I'm happy for you to do your own research. But as I've done my study, I can't, I, there is no other response I can make but to change the, the language in our worship ministry. In saying that, I want to affirm that, oh my goodness, Kiralee and Josh, this morning, boy, did you lead with a heart of worship. And when we sang Cornerstone and the saints were singing, I felt like we as a congregation came together with a posture and a heart of worship. So thank you for leading us in our moment of worship this morning. But I do think our English language fails us. Because worship is not about whether or not you have the vocal capacity to sing on a Sunday or whether or not you, you stand with your hands in the air. I like a hand raise, actually. Have you all seen the video? It's like, you know, I, I don't mind, a, you know, I hold the TV. Don't mind a, yeah, big fish, little fish. Yep, yep, that's a really good YouTube video. I don't mind it. I don't mind a bit of a hand raise. But a lot of you don't, and that's okay. And I don't mind a bit of a sing-song if I can find the notes. Half the time I can't, I have a very limited range. When you see me sing with my guitar, it's not that impressive because if I was doing in any other key than E or G, most of you don't even know what that means, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I don't mind standing here, but worship isn't about whether or not you have the capacity to sing or whether you have the capacity to raise your hands. It's about a posture of the heart. It's about sometimes when we come and sing, we are kneeling in our heart. Similarly, our worship team that serves on the info desk, when they're giving you information and handing you the cards, sometimes they're not just handing you, they're not just doing the physical things. Sometimes on the, work, on the info desk, they're, they're kneeling. Or when our good friend was out there shoveling the sand for the potholes, yes, he was doing the physical thing, but he could have been our worship team member that was out there doing the potholes. Perhaps he was kneeling. And I know the man who was doing the potholes, and he absolutely believes that that's an act of worship. And our worship team that serves with the kids, oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. Youth are hard enough. But I wonder if you're not just in there teaching kids or doing whatever. I wonder, if, I wonder if when you're in there teaching the kids, it's not just like what you're physically doing. I wonder if you're the worship team in the church that's... And our English language fails us a bit. And so tonight we're having a worship night. And I'd love you all to be there, a worship and prayer night. But it's not because we're singing. There's going to be a lot of singing, but it's not because we're singing. It's because tonight we are going to come together... And we're going to have a posture of worship and serve no one else. Our English language seems to fail us. Because worship can be, uh, music can be worship. Music can be worship. Our English language fails us. And I think uh, the best translation is in Auslan. So I want to teach you a prayer.
Can I teach you a prayer? The first one's simple. It's God. And uh, there's a few variations, but the variation I'm going to teach you goes like this. You, you, you tap your hands together and you point towards the sky. God. God. We. We as you touch both shoulders. We. I love this translation of the word worship. It's my favourite translation of the word worship. Worship. What a beautiful translation of the word worship. And you is... You is to point to the person you're talking to so we can point to the sky. God, we... Oh yeah, we'll practice again. We'll practice again because I'm getting lost. God, we worship you. Will you pray with me? You can follow me. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.